Good evening, family. I trust you all well. This is our um, midweek service. And um, on Sunday, we shared some profound truths with regards to the law of the spirit of life. And the Spirit of God has laid in my heart to use this opportunity to encourage and admonish someone. I believe in a way this message is prophetic in one way or another because of the ministry that it aims to accomplish in the life or lives of those that are listening this evening. I was contemplating on the Word of God in trying to understand really how life from God, God's perspective looks like. And it's interesting because I was led by the Spirit into Genesis chapter 1, verse number 2. If you read the article that I sent out last night, you'll realize the reason for what we will discuss this evening. You look at our world today, look at all the things that are happening, especially in our country, they, they cast a sense of hopelessness in all this that's going on politically, socially, within our country. And all these things that are happening are threatening the stability of our country and the fabric of this nation. And one cannot help but wonder, what does this all mean for me? Will I make it? And this is all happening concurrently with what's happening in your own individual lives. And it's easy to fall into feelings of anxiety, feelings of fear and worry and stress and depression because you may feel like maybe things will not work out or maybe life for you will be 
a perpetual cycle of misery and dissatisfaction. And you would be that person who lives life always with their dreams 10 steps ahead of him, never really able to grasp after them. I know you have thoughts when you are alone, when you look at other people's life that you think probably have it all together. And you look at your life and you look at the things that you think you have done for God, right? Like the praying, the going to church, the being faithful in your giving, in your offerings, in your tithes. But, but, but in all of that, you feel like my life isn't where it should be, but I'm doing all these things. But remember, these things are not done for God. They are for you and they are essential. Never let the perception of unfruitfulness in your life deceive you about the importance of these spiritual practices because they were not set in place for, for, for making or for as, as a magic wand or as some magic formula that you can just use to change things at your will. No. But that is not to say that they do not have a role and an impact in the transformation of your life. But you should never let yourself or the circumstances or the perception of where you are get you to feel like maybe this Christianity or the Word of God doesn't work because I've been doing it for so long. How do you know? Because you're measuring the effectiveness of these activities and spiritual practices by whether or not your life is working out. And that is, that is proof positive that you don't know how life works. And you don't know what life is. Because the very definition and concept of life really is, in, is, is, is a mystery to most of us. So there are certain fundamental things that are to be known about life, that are to be understood about life, and that are to be embraced by you. And if you can embrace, understand these fundamental concepts about life, you would make your life so much more easier. Because when you move into those different bends and cycles that are essential to life, it will not be daunting. It will not cast feelings of fear and hopelessness and disparity. No. 
because you, you would understand life as a design of God is intended to follow this pattern because there is a pattern that life follows. There is a life that, pat, uh, I mean, a pattern that life follows. And, and it, generally it is the same for everybody in principle. In experience, it might be diverse, but in principle, it is the same for everybody because God has designed life and placed us as living organisms to, to, to uh, uh, exist in the system that he has designed for the purpose, for the objective. This is what you must understand. The objective of life is to please God. The objective of life is to give God pleasure, not yourself. You're, you're, not, you're not a factor. You're not included in that equation. So you don't live life. You are not alive today for the purpose of generating pleasure for yourself. You are alive today for the purpose of generating pleasure for God. Because everything exists for that purpose. They were created for that purpose, you included. So the question that you must ask is not what you will get out of life, is how much God will get out of your life. Once you start having this mindset about life, your whole world will change. Your worldview will be affected. And I want to show you certain things in the scriptures to encourage you and to strengthen your resolve about God and his word and about your participation in life. Because your participation is essential. You must participate. Let me tell you this. You must participate in the order, the pattern of life. If you're going to have any success noteworthy in this life. Anybody that does not participate in this order will fail. Anybody that does not participate in this order, not only will, will he fail, he will come to ruin. And he, he will live his life in, a, in perpetual cycles of misery because you would never be able to progress to the next levels of life. And this is what makes what I think uh, I mean, this is what makes what, what I'm, I want to discuss here with you this evening so important. I, I, I said in, in the article, I, I titled it, How to Make Lemonade from Lemons Life Give You. Let's look at Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Hallelujah. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and we'll read verse 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is the introduction 
to the first book of the Bible. And he opens it up with such an emphatic statement. In the beginning, God, so telling, so detailed. There's, 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 no, there's no mystery about it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This statement right here dissolves every argument of Darwinism, every argument in Scientology, every atheistic uh, argument about the creation of the universe and the creation of man, it, 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 it dissolves it, it destroys it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So the heavens and the earth are a creation of a being called God. He is responsible for creation. And he is the only one that is responsible for creation. He's the only uncreated being that created. God. God. What a way to introduce him. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It means when I look at the stars, when I look at the moon, when I look at creation, when I look at the world as it is, God is, God is responsible. God. So that means he is the author not only of the universe, but of life in the universe. So it is not accidental that you are here today. It is not accidental that you are, you are alive. That means it was pre-planned and included in the plan and purposes of God. Because, because based on this, every spirit that leaves every spirit that exists, he does so by the will of God because all life comes from God. If God did not will your existence, you would not breathe. If God did not will your existence, you would not exist. You would not be alive. But you are alive by the preordination of God. And he says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then he, he, just, he just goes off, off tangent. And then he, he says the most, the most contrasting statement to verse 1. It's the most con constructing statement. It, it's so conflicting even to read this. Because in the very next breath, in the very next breath, he says, and the earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. Hi. There, there are two ways to look at it, right? Number one, is this characteristic of the nature of God to create 
the earth in such a state or is this uncharacteristic? I looked at this verse for many years. I've looked at it for many years and I've looked at it from different dimensions. And there's another dimension that I had been reluctant to look from, but I think, I think, hear me, I think there is an element of truth in this verse that characterizes the order that God intended for man and creation to move in. That the state of Genesis chapter 1 verse 2 is a deliberate move that God had had, had in his chess board. It looked like, it looked accidental until you begin to dig deeper. That this was a chess play that God had had way before he created the earth. Because if you read Isaiah, Isaiah says that the Lord did not create the earth to who, uh, uh, form without form and void. That's, that's the same uh, construction of word there that the Bible speaks about, right? He says, the Lord did not create the earth. Okay, maybe we should read it. Let's read it, right? Let's, I think, I think let's read it. Uh, Isaiah 45, verse 18. For thus says the Lord who created the heavens and the earth. You see, God takes credit for the creation of the universe. He takes credit. I created it. Do you know no other God in any religion takes credit for the creation of the universe? There happen to be gods in the universe, but none of them takes credit for its creation. It's strange. Only God takes credit. Only God said, I, I, I am the creator. For thus says the Lord, who created the heavens and the earth, who is God, who is God, who formed the earth and made it, who has established it, who did not create it, to who bohu. You see that? But verse 2 says, and the earth was without form and void. Now, we don't, we, we're not yet looking into uh, translations and so forth, right? We're looking at, at it as it is because whether or not the earth was or became, the fact that the fact of the matter remains that the earth was in that state. But we read verse 18, he says, God did not create it that way. That means the state of verse 2 was not the, the earth in its original form. It was not the earth in its original form because God, when he created the earth, it was not tohu bohu. The earth became that way. Now, the question is, why did it become that way? Right? He did not create it that way, but it became that way. Now, it is, it is, it is, it doesn't matter, right? Whether God wanted it that way, the fact that it was means that he willed it, he permitted it. Whether or not that was 
not his will, is outside the scope of investigation. Not necessarily outside the scope of investigation, but it, it, it doesn't matter. It happened. Right? It happened. It's, it, it's like saying, I did not want this thing to happen, but it happened. We are not like God. We may not want things to happen and yet not have the power to stop it. But God has the power. So if God did not want it to happen, why did it happen? Because it could not have happened if God did not permit it. So the fact that it happened is either two things. God wanted it to happen or he permitted it. Either way, it happened. And it was on God's watch. Yet this God, when he created the earth, it was not to who? It was not formless. The earth had form. The earth, look at it. The earth, he says, he, who did not create it in vain, who formed it to be inhabited. But the earth at that, at that state was uninhabitable. There was no creature at that point in time that inhabited the earth. Yet God created the earth to be habitable. But the first time we learn about the substance of the earth, the state of the earth was an uninhabitable domain. Question, why was it that way? The only conclusion we can come out with is that God, this is the safest play, right? That God permitted it to happen. If he permitted it to happen, that means it was for, in his foreknowledge. And if that's the case, that means the earth in verse 2 was in that state because of the sovereignty of God. Otherwise, God made a mistake. Otherwise, God is fallible. And there was an error in his creation, an anomaly that should not have happened. But we know that if something happened, even though it should not have happened, God willed it. God permitted it. He allowed it to happen. Hmm. Could this be the secret, the key to understanding the order and the pattern of life? Because the first introduction of the earth we see is that the earth is not, is not, is not a welcoming environment. That the earth is a hostile environment. It is a harsh environment to be in. It is formless. It is void. It is dark. It is chaotic. Who did it? It doesn't matter, brother. It doesn't matter, sister. What matters is that the earth is that way. And remember, we deal with life. We deal with the world. We deal with the earth as we find it, not as we want it to be. And that's the problem with most of us is that we, we try to make life conform to our ideals and our imaginations of how life should be. Yet we are to deal with life as we find it. Jesus had no choice in being born 
in a manger. Don't you think he would have loved to be born in, in some hospital with, with, with midwives? But there was none. He was born in a manger with sheep and animals sleep. <laughs> did he complain? Did, 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 was he like, I ain't coming out of this womb. Not, not under these conditions. I ain't coming out. Do, 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 do you think he did that? He dealt with life as he found it. And we must master the strength to understand that our lives may not be as we want it, but we must deal and live in it as we find it. Only then would we have the strength to surmount all that life has handed to us. Because to most of us, life has not dealt to us good cards. When we look at our cards, if we are sitting in the poker room of life, uh, 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 the dealer has dealt us bad cards. And whether or not it was intentional is beside the point. The point is that the cards are dealt. And we must find a way to ensure that the probabilities of getting off that poker table as winners are in our favor. And it is us, our attitude, our response to that dealing, that would make the difference, that would conclude the outcome of what our lives become. Because the, the first introduction of the earth in that state was not the end of the story. And, and this is really what I really want to zero in, is that in the chaos in the darkness, in the mess, God is still there. God, let's, let's look at Genesis chapter 1 again. The earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. It was there. It was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Look at that. Look at that. In the chaos... In the darkness, in the formlessness, in the uninhabitability of the earth, God was there. God was there. He was right there in the chaos. He was right there in the mess. That means God doesn't leave you just because things are tough. And just because things are hard and tough and rough and challenging and chaotic and dark, it doesn't mean that God is absent. B better yet, those circumstances are indicative of his presence. That state of life is indicative of his presence. Because that is the first time we learn of the presence of God. It was in the mess.
That is the first time we learn in about, about the, the, the presence of God, the involvement of God in his creation. It was in the darkness. It was in the chaos. God was there and the spirit of God was there. He was hovering. Would you rather have a great life without God? Or would you rather have a chaotic life with God? Because what matters in life, what matters in life is God with you. He said, if God be with us, who can be against us? What a statement. If, he, if, if he's with you, if he, and question, is he with you? Look no further than what Jesus said. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Praise God. Praise God. If God is with us, is with us and easy, look no further. He said it. He said, Lord, I am with you till the end of the age. And in, 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 in the process toward the end, guess what? You will have trials. You will have tribulations. You will have trying times. You will have daunting moments. Jesus said, he that desires to follow me, let him deny himself and, and carry his cross. You will have to bear the load that life gives you. And it becomes easier in understanding that no matter how hard, how dark, how chaotic life is, that is still not the end. Because the end of the story is that good and perfect will of God will be done. To give up is to say that God does not have the power to change your story. To give up is a spit on the face of God because you are not built to give up. I, I, I want to take this a little bit deeper and discuss something with you. Notice, he says, the earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. And look at what God says in verse 3. He says, and then God said, let there be light. Yet, if you notice, the, the order followed was without form, tohu, bohu, and darkness. Darkness was the last thing that was mentioned but it is the first thing that God addressed. So God doesn't change the tohu-bohu state. He addresses the darkness. He says, let there be light and there was light. So the first order of business was to bring light in the darkness. It's not to change the formlessness is not to change their emptiness, but it is to bring light. Why? Because without light, creation, creation cannot take form. You need to see where you are going. You need to see what you are doing. 
Until you see what you are doing, until you see where you are going, there is no way shape and form can be brought into your life. You need light. That's why Jesus came as a light in a dark world. He said, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. That means he will not grope in the dark. Hallelujah. He will not find himself confused, bewildered. He will not find himself at crossroads, not knowing what to do. Because as long as he can see, thy word is a lamp unto my feet. As long as I can see where I am going, I will get to the destination. The problem is that we want things to be fixed. We want things to come into shape. We want the emptiness to be taken away, yet we are in darkness. But God said, no, it's light first, then the form. It's light first, then the shape. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. He says, let there be light. And there was light. Oh, and, and, and it's strange because you would think that the light that God called, that, that the light that God brought forth dispelled darkness, but that light did not dispel darkness. In the presence of that light, darkness still was present. So you would think when God said, let there be light, darkness would be no more because we, they say, or, 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 or it is said that the definition of darkness is the absence of light. But that may not be the case. Because light was present and darkness was still there. So we need to find another definition because that definition doesn't suit the description of what happened here. Because God called the light and the darkness still remained. The darkness did not go away. Why? God, why? I'm trying to explain something so deep that many human beings have had a hard time to grapple with. Why do I go through pain? The Bible says there's a time and season for everything under the sun. In other words, to be a bona fide human being, there must be a consistent experience, an equal experience on the dark and the light. You cannot be a human being experiencing light only. Jesus, Jesus, he was God almighty, yet he, he still had to submit to the order of life. When they came to, 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 to fetch him, and, and to arrest him. And he said to them, who are you looking for? They said, look for Jesus. And after falling, they came back again. And Jesus said to them, now is your hour of darkness. So Jesus surrendered himself to the sway of darkness. That's why the Bible says he, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter. Yet he said not a word. He did not resist when they came to arrest him. He did not resist Pontius Pilate. He did not resist when they, bore, when they made him bear his cross. He did not resist them when they were killing him. Why? Because it was the hour of darkness. And man must taste darkness. If he's going to learn about the glories of God, you must taste darkness. 
That's why life is hard for you now because you have not learned to embrace the necessity of being in that position. The darkness was part of the formlessness, was part of the chaos. And God called light and darkness still remained. This is what gave me the clue to say that darkness was a fashion, was a fashioning of God. It was an idea of God. It was a chess move of God. He says, I am the Lord and I create light and I make evil. You, you, you can try to put whatever interpretation on that, but it is what it is. God said it. And, and the fact that God, God, God called the light and there was light and he saw that it was good and God divided the light from darkness. To, the fact that he divided means that the, the darkness was present even after he called the light. And what is in the darkness? Trials, tribulations, pain, afflictions, hardships, struggles, sufferings, confusion, bad seasons. You lose your job, don't have access to resources. And it is what you do in those moments that defines who you are. That will define the kind of man, the kind of woman that you become. Yes. The Bible says tribulation produces patience and patience produces hope. And hope, hope, hope does not disappoint. Look at God. Look at, look at, look at this, this master architect. Darkness and light is the same to God. He says, and God saw the light and it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. Can I read you verse, let me, can, can I read you verse, 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 verse 31? I want to read you this. Then God saw everything that he had made and indeed it was very good. The evening and the morning were the sixth day. He says he saw everything he had made and indeed it was very good, right? And if you read Genesis verse 1, the making of the day and night was God's creation, right? And God said it was good. God said it was very good. Because we associate darkness with evil, right? God said it was very good. The darkness was good, was very good. And to take matters even further, God allocates the same time, time frame for darkness and light to rule. So man was made to function in the darkness as much as in the light. So he needs the light as much as he needs the darkness. He needs it equally. You've been resisting hardship like it's a bad thing. You've been resisting the struggles in your life like it's a bad thing. You've been saying no to pain. You've been saying no to setbacks. 
You've been saying no to trying circumstances and seasons in your life. You've been praying against it. You've been fasting against it. Yet it is good. It is good for you. Don't you know, he said, and we know that all things work together for the good of them that love the Lord. If you love God, no matter what happens for you, the ultimate conclusion is that that thing will be for your good. It will work out in your favor ultimately. Hallelujah. Safri lahantas kala. You've allowed what you've gone through to change you for the worst. You've become a different person and you don't even like yourself. Why? Because you thought that what you were going through was the end of you. So you behaved like you have reached your end in life, yet that is just your beginning. Your, your, oh my God, the beginning of your life is in darkness and evening and the morning. Life starts in the evening. Life starts in the evening. That means where you are right now in God's mind is actually the starting point. That the, you, it's actually the starting point. Weeping may endure for a night. Because that's when you cry. In the morning, in the evening. But he says joy cometh in the morning. And the problem is that you treat your weeping phase of life like it's all there is to life. Look at Joseph. The boy with dreams bigger than everything. He dreamt his brothers, his father would bow to him because he was elevated at the pinnacle of authority. And after he, he told them that dream, he thought they would be happy. But they hated him even more. And it came into their minds. Look at it. God gives this boy a dream. But the very next thing that happens is the very opposite of what the dream said. As soon as he tells them a plot to lord over him, a plot to deny the accuracy, the validity of the dream is set in motion. To undermine a plot, a plan, to undermine the, 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 the genuineness of that dream set into motion. Remember when you had a dream. Remember when God gave you a promise. Remember when you saw yourself. Remember when you were praying and God said, this is what I'm going to do for you. This is what you're going to become. When God showed you this is your future. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the plot to deny the expression and reality and manifestation of that dream is set into motion. And it was no different with Joseph. As soon as he dreamt, all hell broke loose. Why? Because life begins in the morning. The Bible says when they were prophesying and they were seeing the visions God was seeing, they were not seeing the glory first. They were seeing the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. Why? Because the day is preceded by the night. They saw the night of Christ's life before the day. And it's no different with you and me. 
Because God determines the end from the beginning. He shows you what is to come, but then you must begin, and you begin in darkness. You begin in hardship. You understand? Ease is a threat to your prosperity. Ease is a threat to your progress in life. Ease is a greater threat to success than hardship is. The ability to enjoy is what makes you a soldier, is what makes you a man. If you cannot enjoy, you are not fit to handle the glories that are to come. Because the glories promised must test the man who will receive them. And Joseph is sold. First, they say, let us kill him. The older brother said, don't do such a thing. Don't do such a thing. You, you, you see how it moved? It moved to the extreme. To the, ex, to, to the extreme outcome. Let us kill him. In other words, let us totally end any possibility of his dream coming to pass. Let us totally end any possibility of that vision, of that promise, of that aspiration coming to pass. You said you wanted to be a doctor, but every fund channel is dried up. Every well of finance is dried up. Every resource, every excess is dried up. And here you are wanting to be a doctor, yet you, you, you don't have the ability to even begin. Because that's what happens in the night. You are tested about, about your worthiness to begin, your worthiness to receive. And one of the brothers says, no, uh -uh, let's not do such a thing. And then they formulate another thing, the next worst thing, let's sell him over. Let's sell him as a slave. Let's sell him as a slave. They sold him as a slave. And for that moment, all hopes of that dream coming to pass had evaporated. And that's what happens. You dream of a great marriage. You get married. And the next thing the man turns on you. Next thing, the woman turns on you. You dream of building a business and you lose everything. Why? Because the darkness must test you. The darkness is for the testing. The darkness is for the cooking of the man. It's for the making of the man. You see, in light, in light you manifest. You don't work in light. Let your light so shine that men may see your works. Light is the manifestation of the works. But where the, where, where the real work happens is in the darkness. It's in the darkness. And they sold him. And he never gave up. And guess what the Bible says? The Lord was with him. The spirit was right there. In the darkness, the Lord was with Joseph. And in that state, when everybody thought that that dream would never come to pass, God, at the lowest level, elevated him, blessed him, prospered him. In the mess, he prospered. In the chaos, he prospered. 
And when, when it was seen that he was prospering because God was with him, a, another, another, another test came. He was plunged into another phase of darkness. Now he was living in a house. He was managing a house. Now he went from being a servant of servants to becoming a prisoner. He, he now went to live in the dungeons. It does not get any worse than that. It does not get any more hopeless than that. And for 17 years, not five, not four, for 17, and, and yet Paul says, our light afflictions, which are but for a moment, worketh for us an eternal weight of glory. Think about Joseph. Think about the, the trauma of how diametrically opposed his dream that God gave him was from the reality he was living. He was in the slums, yet he had a dream. He had a dream that he had been the greatest among his brethren. He had a dream. He had, he had no way of knowing how God would do it. All he knew was that he, he, he was in chaos. He was in darkness. Why? Because the dream is not yours. It's his. And if it is his, in the same way he created the heavens and the earth, is the same way he will bring that vision and dream to pass. And he was not bitter. He was not angry. He accepted the circumstances as they were. And he, he, he made the most of where he was. When he was sold as a slave, he didn't say, I'm a slave, I will not perform. As a slave, he performed. As a slave, he was effective. As a slave, he was productive. Because if you are going to be a prince, you will be tested as a slave. And if you are a poor slave, you will be, you will be an unworthy prince. The princely life, the princely life, the princely life is reached through slavery. God says he takes the poor from the dunghill and causes them to inherit the throne of glory. The problem is that you have made where you are right now your whole life and not a training ground, not a training phase, not a place where God wants to build you strengthen your character, shape you for his glory. Because it is the character that is formed in those circumstances, situations, cycles, and seasons in your life that's going to determine whether or not you would become and finally reach the place that God has set for you. And look at him, look at him, how amazing, look at him. He, hallelujah, oh my God, glory to God. He's in the prison and you can see he's not, he does not lose hope. And 17 years later, after so many challenges, pains, sufferings, one opportunity because God 
had given him understanding in dreams. He had become a dreamer and an interpreter of dreamer. That means he exercised himself in the thing that God had begun his journey with. He exercised himself in the gift that God gave him. He not only dreamed, but he learned to understand and interpret dreams. And that is the door that led him into the fulfillment of the dream. He, 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 when he came to his dream, he did not interpret it. He, he, he manifested it. When it came to the dreams of others, he interpreted them. And it is a gift. You, need, you, you don't need any, anything to interpret a dream. It's a skill that comes through a, through a gift, through a ministry, or a, 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 an impartation of God. But when it comes to the fulfillment of his dream, he must suffer 17 years. That's why you can help people with ease and suffer your whole life. Not because there's something wrong with you, but because of the weight, because of the magnitude of your dream. Don't give up. It's hard. It's painful. It doesn't seem like it will end. But don't give up. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. You have not failed. No matter how many times you fail, you have not failed but the day you give up. Don't give up. You are close. Yes. The night is 12 hours, just as the day is. But don't give up. Change your attitude. Change your mindset. Yes. Because God is able. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God is right there, with you right there. And I'm ministering to you by His grace to tell you don't give up. Your life has just begun. Remember, He says there's a time for everything. That means there's, there is a, a, an allocated time for you to experience what you may be experiencing now and to experience the exact opposite. To experience the joy you desire, to experience the life you want. The time for that is coming. The time for that is coming. And that's why we use the word of God to hold on to the hope and build our faith and confidence in him. Because remember, God is real. And you are in this world to serve his purpose. And his desire for you is bigger than all you can ever think. But I want to encourage you this evening. Don't give up. Hallelujah. Well, good evening. I hope you were blessed. We'll meet again on Friday.
Amen.